0: Day on In Spirit and Truth with
1: Pastor J.D. Farag. When you get pulled over, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? I'm sorry that I got caught. <laughs> sorry that my radar detector wasn't plugged in. I don't know. I'm just sorry that I got caught. It's not a genuine sorrow. You're sorry that you got caught. No, a genuine godly sorrow is the sorrow that says, you know what, I need to change. I need to turn. I need to repent and I need to change.
0: You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor JD Farag of Calvary Chapel Kanohe. Pastor JD is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. When you've been caught in sin, are you tempted to make excuses or sweep it under the rug to not have to deal with your sin? God wants to teach us and grow us through our shortcomings. Today in his message, Pastor J.D. helps us to face our problems head-on and to see them as a training tool from God. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, with
1: today's edition of
0: In Spirit and Truth.
1: What he says to him next... Remember now, the harshest words that were ever uttered from the Savior's mouth were reserved for these people, not those people. We're going to see that a little bit later. I'm sorry if I'm yelling. I just, man, you can just feel this thing. You know what they were doing, right? See, the Sabbath was a day of rest. You weren't to do any business. But they were so greedy, they were defiling the Sabbath. And they were doing business on the Sabbath. And if that weren't bad enough, they were stealing from God's people. And here it is again, and it's going to come up again. It's throughout these two chapters. The bottom line is, this is the why behind the what, if you will. The reason why Jesus was so righteously angry and enraged at them was because they were keeping the people from the Lord instead of getting the people to the Lord. They were separating the people from God. And they were ripping them off. And here the people are coming to worship. They're coming to pray. They're coming to be healed. I find it just astounding that it was after he kicks them out that the blind are like, are they gone? The lame are like, hey, can we come now? Yeah. And they came to the temple where they were not able to come to before, and he healed them. Wow, Wow, that just, that hits me. That gives me pause. Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. You know what he's saying? He's saying Jew or Gentile, society's outcasts, the downcast. it doesn't matter who you are, all people, all nations, I want everyone, all people, to have unfettered access to me. And again, we're going to see this throughout. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus was always attracted to the down and out. He was always attracted to the least, the last, the lame, the blind, the crippled. I mean, he came for those who needed a physician, right? He came for the sinner. He was attracted to the weak, to the downcast. And, and by contrast, <laughs> he was repulsed by the religious leaders of the day. Very interesting. Again, I, I won't harp on it, but just one last thought on this before we move on. The people who should have been there weren't, and the people who shouldn't were. And he said it straight. Because the people that were in the temple were keeping the people that should have been in the temple away from the temple. And the people that were in the temple, who shouldn't be in the temple, needed to get out of the temple. I hope you got that, because I cannot say that again. Verse (laughs) 9. It's going to get. This is really wow, okay? All you beasts of the field come to devour. This is God speaking. All you beasts in the forest... What do you need him to do? Oh, I need him to devour these guys. Whoa. Really? Yeah. Why? Because, verse 10, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs, which never have enough. And They are shepherds, pastors, who cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his own gain from his own territory. Come, one says, I will bring wine, and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. You have to understand that in that culture, in that day, and it's really the same today, the ultimate insult is to call someone a dog. To call them a dumb dog? (laughs) That's like the ultimate, ultimate. This is God speaking, calling to the beasts of the field, come devour these dumb dogs, these greedy shepherds. What an indictment. And you know what's sad? This is so apropos for us today. And it's passages like this, as a pastor, that I take very seriously. Because this is talking about watchmen. Blind watchmen? What good is a blind watchman? Because you're a watchman. You know what watchmen do? They watch. I know that's deeply profound, but if you're blind, you can't watch. So these are blind watchmen. And to make matters even worse, the shepherds, the pastors, the leaders, they could care less about the people. They were just looking out for themselves. They were just partying and getting drunk and They were all about the money. That's what they were in it for. You greedy dogs. And all they wanted to do was just party and eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow. This last uh, part of verse 12, I, I hope you'll hear my heart. I hope you don't misunderstand me when I say this, but... we as pastors will have to give an account for verse 12. Because see, even now there are those that are, with everything that's going on in the world right now, they're blind watchmen. They don't see it because they're blind, and they're surely not warning the people, and Ezekiel is very clear about it in no uncertain terms. The people's blood will be on their hands. They will have to give an account. This is why James says, don't, hey, you want to be a teacher of God's word? That's a noble thing. You desire a noble thing. But be very careful because you will be judged by a much stricter standard. Why? Because you are now responsible and accountable and have the blood of the people on your hands if you don't warn them and teach them, the Apostle Paul would say in the book of Acts, it's recorded, I am free of the blood of any man. Why? Because I did not cease from giving you the whole counsel of God. In other words, we would say it like this, I told you the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Even when it was the hard truth. Even when I knew that you would get up in the middle and walk out. <laughs> but I have an audience of one. I know you don't want to hear this. I don't want to have to say this. But it's the truth. And I'm going to give an account. One last thing again. I, Again, just if you wouldn't mind, before we start chapter 57, I, I just want to share with you. This, this has been, and for those of you that know me, this is a, a real struggle for me personally, right now? Because, and I I can't anymore, but I am hearing secondhand about what is being taught from the pulpit. What are they teaching? What are they telling the people? Are they teaching the Bible, or are they just talking about the Bible? Are they warning the people? Or are they asleep, loving to slumber? Are they blind? Are their eyes not open? Are they blind watchmen? Well, let me say it like this, and again, please hear my heart. I don't want to be misunderstood when I say this. If a pastor is not warning the people about what is really going on in the world today, I fear for them, because that is on them. And soon and very soon, sooner than any of us, I believe, can possibly imagine, that trumpet's going to sound, and they will have to give an account. I don't want to be anywhere close. I want when I have to give an account. And, you know, I I heard it said like this, and it really makes sense to me, and again, it's a struggle for me, but... Uh, As one so aptly said it, paint your own fence. Don't worry about them. That's between them and God. But as a pastor, I'm looking over going, oh, what, what color are they painting their fence? And it's like Jesus saying, what's that to you? Remember when Peter went to him about John? And Jesus says, what's that to you? I called John to paint that fence that color. That's not your fence. What's that to you? This is your fence. You just paint your own fence. I'm so convicted right now, I want to move on, but do you get the point? I just, I better better just watch myself, paint my own fence, make sure that I'm doing that which is pleasing in the sight of the Lord, and that I, like the Apostle Paul, can also say I am free of the blood of any man, because I I, I warned you, I mean, I warn you every week. I yell at you every single week. So, Isaiah 57, the righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, Interesting. while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter, verse 2, into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. Okay, what's this about? Well, these two verses are actually the subject of some debate among commentators, some of whom believe that it's actually a reference to the pre-trib rapture of the church. And I believe it is in principle, because I think of Lot, He delivered Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah before the judgment came down. Before any fire and brimstone could come down, Lot had to be taken out. In principle, God will take the righteous out. And what's interesting about these two verses is that God, through the prophet Isaiah, is saying when they're taken out, they don't consider that the righteous have been taken away from evil. In fact, could it be assumed, which I know is a dangerous word, you want to be careful with that word. <laughs> you don't want to make assumptions that are, you know, incorrect, but I think it's got merit to it. Could it be that one of the reasons why will be that they're going to be glad we're out of the way. Oh, we're rid of them. Now we can do what we want to do. Because see, heretofore there was a restraining because of the righteous, a sustaining of the righteous and a restraining of the evil. Because after all, aren't we the salt and the light? What does salt do? Oh, (laughs) it preserves rottenness. Man, I think about 2 Thessalonians 2 often, once the restrainer is taken out of the way. Oh my goodness. I don't want to be anywhere around, because now the salt is gone. See, that, that's before refrigeration. That's how they would preserve the meat, is they would. That's why salt was so valuable. You've heard that expression, they're worth their salt. That's how they would get paid. Salt was so valuable. That's how they would preserve the meat from going bad and getting rotten. That's what we are. We're a preserving agent. And how about the light? The light staves away the darkness. We're the salt and the light. And when that salt and that light is taken out of the way, and the restrainer is taken out of the way, they might think, Finally, eh, actually, we're going to see that here coming up. But come here, verse 3. You sons of the sorceress, you offspring of the adulterer and the harlot, whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth? I love this imagery. And stick out the tongue. Translated? Who do you think you are? you got a very big mouth, and an ugly tongue, I might add, (laughs) while I'm at it. Are you not children of transgression, offspring of falsehood, inflaming yourselves with gods under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys, under the clefts of the rocks? You know what this is referring to, right? This is how they would worship their false gods. And this is a direct reference to the god known as Molech. Molech was a giant iron statue with outstretched arms. And inside they had a furnace that they would set on fire. And they would put this thing in the valley, right outside the city walls in Jerusalem. For those of you that have been to Israel with us, we pointed out every time we're driving by. And they would take their children alive, and basically abort them post-birth, and sacrifice them by placing them on the arms of this iron statue, Molech. The fire would burn so hot it would burn them alive. And they refer to this valley That's the Valley of Drums. And the reason they do that is because they would play the drums loud enough to cover up the cries of the children. I'm sorry, that's graphic and unthinkable, but that's what happened, and that's what they were doing. And God's calling them out. This uh, inflaming yourselves with God's under every green tree, let me just say, This refers to the unthinkable sexual immorality that was practiced in the worship of these false gods. Verse 6, Among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion. They, they are your lot. Even to them you have poured a drink offering. You have offered a grain offering. Should I receive comfort in these? On a lofty and high mountain you have set your bed. Even there you went up to offer sacrifice. Also behind the doors and their posts you have set up your remembrance. For you have uncovered yourself to those other than me and have gone up to them. You have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them. You have loved their bed where you saw their nudity. Again, very graphic. It gets worse, verse 9. You went to the king with ointment and increased your perfumes. You set your messengers far off and even descended to Sheol. You are wearied, verse 10, in the length of your way, yet you did not say, there is no hope. You have found the life of your hand. Therefore, you were not grieved. You know what this is saying? Well, to me, it's a textbook case of sin being pleasurable only for a season. But when the thrill is gone, there's still no repentance on their part. In other words, you are wearied in the length of your way. You've been doing this along the way. This is your way. And yet, when you became weary of it and the thrill was gone, you did not say, I'm going to turn to the Lord. Instead, this is your life. You have found your life, and there's no godly sorrow. Therefore, you are not grieved. The Apostle Paul to the Corinthians says that it's a godly sorrow that leads to a genuine repentance. You know, there's two kinds of sorrow, right? There's a sorrow being caught, and there's a godly sorrow that leads to a change. The best illustration is that of being pulled over in traffic for exceeding the speed limit, which I want you to know I I never do. (laughs) Actually I just don't get caught, but when you get pulled over, I'm sorry, what are you sorry for? I'm sorry that I got caught. Sorry that my radar detector wasn't plugged in. I don't know. I'm just sorry that I got caught. It's not a genuine sorrow. You're sorry that you got caught. No, a genuine godly sorrow is the sorrow that says, you know what? I need to change. I need to turn. I need to repent. And I need to change my driving habits. That's a true sorrow, a godly sorrow that leads to a genuine repentance. You know, uh, one more thing on this. You know when you get to the book of Revelation during the tribulation, and they go through all of these horrors that are just unspeakable, and they still don't repent? Is that hard for you to wrap your mind around? I know it is for me. And then how about the millennium? It's almost even worse. So Satan is bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And it's like an enforced righteousness, and there are going to be people that are going to be able to have children in the millennium, and children will have children. And they will be given the choice at the end of the millennium, the 1,000 years. And can you believe that they will reject Jesus Christ after living 1,000 years in that state of righteousness with no devil to tempt them? But they're going to be given a choice. They have to be given a choice, and they don't choose. Well, it goes back to Adam and Eve. They made the choice, right? Here's all of these trees, eat freely of all of the trees of the garden, but of this one tree thou shalt not eat. Why not? See, if I'm God, which is why I'm not, that's why you're not either. <laughs> I wouldn't have put that tree in there. I wouldn't have put it in there. I would have just said, hey, eat from all the trees. All of them? Yeah. Is there anyone that we shouldn't eat? No, nope, eat them all. Fine. We're good. Why did God put the tree in there? He knew, right? He knows the end from the beginning. He knew they were going to sin. Jesus was not plan B. That's blasphemy. It was all part of God's plan. He sees the end from the beginning. He knew they would.
0: We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Isaiah is an interesting one, as the prophet Isaiah spoke things that God wanted the people of Israel to hear, but they just wouldn't listen. Little did they know that much of what Isaiah spoke had bigger significance than they could have imagined. From beginning to end, the book of Isaiah touches on Jesus Christ coming later on. It refers to the announcement of his coming, his birth, his good news of salvation, his death, and his return to claim his own. Wow, what an incredible insight into the future. Sometimes things are plain right before our eyes, and we just aren't willing to see it for what it is. Although the people were ignorant in that present time, God used Isaiah to speak to them anyway and to proclaim the good news that was to come. Do you know of this good news? If not, we'd like you to check out com and head over to the resources page. There you'll find the ABCs of salvation, which goes into a step-by-step understanding the good news of Jesus. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor JD. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and to look for more things God wants to teach you in this book of Isaiah looking forward to next time here on in spirit in truth